Well, we're in week three of this message series that's all about family and relationships. And one of the things that we're learning throughout this series is that if you belong to a family or a marriage that isn't perfect, if in your family there are problems and dysfunction and difficulties and sometimes the occasional drama, what we're learning is you're not alone. And on the flip side, if you belong to a family that has no problems at all, that's absolutely perfect, we know something about you. You are lying to us. Because that type of family just doesn't exist. And there will always be, and sometimes it's bigger than at other times, but there will always be a gap between the reality that we live in and the ideal family that God directs us towards and to. But here's the thing, and and I, I hope you have the same desire, that instead of just being content with that gap, although we will never get it absolutely perfect, that we want to grow in becoming healthier. We want to grow as families and in relationships to better follow the picture of family that God has given us. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is something that you'll find in every home, that if you're around a family long enough, you will notice is a part of every family. It's something that you'll find in every single marriage and honestly, every relationship that is deeper than an occasional high at the grocery store. We're going to talk about this, conflict, fights, arguments. And here's the thing, at a very base level, one of the reasons why I know that there is conflict within your family and that there is conflict in every relationship is this, we're all different. Every single person, even if they were born to the the same parents, as I've found out as a parent, have different interests and different strengths and different opinions about things. Some people have different backgrounds. And so when you put people together who are different, there's going to be conflict. I, I I remember the first vacation that Carrie and I planned together there was conflict. We came from different mindsets. See, my mindset about vacation is if you're going somewhere that especially you've never been there before, you got to schedule that thing out. And every single day you're scheduling what you're going to do and what you're going to see. I mean, you're going to check out the local scene. You're going to make sure that you hit everything because you don't know whether you're ever going to be back there again. And guess what? When it comes to rest, you can rest when you get back from vacation. Carrie has a little different idea about vacation. And by little, I mean a lot, exactly. I mean a a lot of a different opinion about vacation. You know, for her, it's like you go on vacation, it's okay to have somewhat of a rough sketch of things you're going to do, but for the most part, you're just going to chill and relax and not hurry anywhere because, get this, that what she thinks is that you come back from vacation more rested than when 
you left for vacation, which, novel idea, and honestly, I don't know if this just is a product of being a husband and this is the way it is in every healthy relationship, but I certainly have come a little more her way over the years when it comes to what a good vacation looks like. But as you've noticed, there's not really one way that's right or one way that's wrong. And so the big thing is why there can be conflict, whether it's about vacation or other things, again, is that we're all different. And to be honest, the fact that you are different than the people in your family actually brings a level of blessing to the family that wouldn't be there if you and your spouse or you and your kids were all exactly the same. It allows families in many ways to be better and to grow, but it does cause conflict. And then you throw sin into the mix and self, uh, selfishness and self-centeredness, and yeah, there's going to be conflict in families. And I think it would be good if we had a plan. And let me be clear, not a plan to avoid all conflict. I think there can be good plans put in place so there's less conflict. But avoiding all conflict, again, that's impossible. Here's what I think the type of plan we need. It's our first fill-in for today. We need a plan for navigating the conflict when it comes. And the truth is that most of us got married and no one ever really talked through God's plan or a plan for handling conflict. Unless you've gone to to some sort of counseling, which, by the way, I think is good for every single relationship to at some point have a trusted third party speak into it so you can grow no matter where your marriage is. Unless you've gone to something like that, maybe you've never really talked about what does a plan for handling and navigating conflict look like? And if you have no plan, guess what? You react emotionally rather than thoughtfully. And most of the time in conflict, especially when we react emotionally, it takes us places that, well, we wish we hadn't gone. So today, I want to give you some thoughts, of course, from Jesus when it comes to when there is conflict with someone in your life. And what we're going to do is turn to two sections of Jesus' most famous sermon. It's, uh, we call it often the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And in that sermon where he mostly talks about what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be a Christian? Great sermon if you'd like to read it sometime on your own. Maybe you already have. In the midst of that sermon, he talks about conflict. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, he's talking about someone who has traveled to the temple in Jerusalem and has brought a gift, maybe it's a goat or a lamb along with them, and there, as you're about to offer that gift or you're in line to offer that gift, you remember that your brother or sister, here I think you, you understand this, the brother or sister is not necessarily exactly your sibling, but, but people around you, it could be your brother or sister, has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, 
Then come back and offer your gift. So as I talked through it, there's someone who went to offer a gift to God. He remembers, she remembers someone that she's in conflict with and that conflict has not been addressed. And what does God say? He says, before you give your offering, before you give that lamb or that goat, I want you to leave it there, go and figure it out, address that conflict, then come back and offer your gift. It's important thing to think about. And I want you to also see that the context that Jesus uses here. He used this example of the church and of the altar very specifically. He, there's a reason why he didn't say, if you're standing in line at the grocery store and you remember a conflict, leave your groceries right there. He used the church specifically. He used the temple specifically because he wanted us to recognize and realize that when we have conflict with other people that goes unresolved, that isn't addressed, it also affects our relationship with God. There is a connection there. When there are not things going well in our horizontal relationships, it also means that things are not the way they should be in our vertical relationship with God. Or I'll say it this way, unresolved conflict with others affects our relationship with God. And if you read through the New Testament, you see God, you see Jesus address over and over again how he would like his people to be. He wants his people, those who follow his son, to hold short accounts and to be able to forgive quickly. Paul writes when it comes to serving in the church, which to be frank, these characteristics go for anyone who follows Jesus as well. He says that people should not be quarrelsome. In Ephesians, Paul writes that we should be gentle and humble in spirit and that we're able to be gentle with the people around us. This is something, this, this taking care of relationships that we have with other people is something that is not only better when we handle them, but is reflective of where our relationship is sometimes with God. But let's keep going in verse 25. It says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way to court, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So, if you don't settle your accounts, you're going to prison, is what Jesus says. <laughs> Not necessarily in every occasion. But it is interesting to understand a truth that does come out of this, that is true for every occasion. Why does Jesus want us to settle matters quickly? Because it may not be that you end up in prison and have to pay a fine if you don't settle matters. But here is what is true, that when we don't settle matters quickly, when we just allow things to 
stay in conflict. Here's what does happen. Things never get better on their own. I suppose there's small little things that happen, like you're kind of, you know, crabby uh, because you're tired and you get upset about something that's very minor. And, and I suppose you, there might be some things that you don't have to come back to and address with your spouse because they were so minor and it's just a product of you being tired. But if you find that thing coming up in your heart again, that's causing you to feel in conflict with your spouse or whoever it might be in your family, in your workplace, that thing will not get better just by waiting it out. It never works. It's like going to the doctor and thinking, if I just sit in the waiting room long enough that I'll get better. You have to go to the doctor. You have to do something about it. Jesus is saying, if you're in conflict with someone, don't let that conflict linger. I'm going to say it this way as an encouragement. What Jesus is telling us today in this plan for navigating conflict is be willing to take the first step. Be willing to take the first step. Now, the interesting thing is that even over the span of my life, I have seen and discovered, especially over the last five to 10 years, that our culture and our world is absolutely horrible in being able to navigate conflict or when people don't agree with us. I don't, in my lifetime, it's never been worse than it is right now. Maybe you would agree with me as well. And so what do people nowadays do if someone doesn't agree with them? One of the things that they do, you've heard this phrase, it's become very well-known. You just cancel the person. They don't agree with what you think? Well, then you're not a part of my life anymore, and nothing you've said or nothing you've ever done is good anymore. I just cancel you. And so what happens is, we live in these echo chambers, whether it's in our lives and sometimes it's even just online. We live in these echo chambers where everyone around us thinks the same and talks the same and feels the same and votes the same and watches the same things because we can't, as a culture anymore, handle or interact or converse with people who don't agree with what we think. Another thing that people tend to do when there's conflict is they do what they can to just avoid it and pretend like it's, it's not there. And in a marriage, when you just decide, ah, I'm not going to talk about this, that's when, and maybe this has never happened to your relationship, it's called the silent treatment. Has that ever happened in your home? You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but that's what happens when a problem or a conflict is not addressed. It can be the silent treatment. Or for extended family, people that you don't live with and have to see every day, it can actually lead to there being a severing of the relationship. When the problem is not addressed, when it's not talked through, there can be a severing of a relationship where you don't get along anymore because you've allowed that problem to just 
exist. You haven't gone quickly, and maybe you haven't taken the first step. So I, I want to just for a moment just get really practical with you and, and give you kind of a four-little-step process in handling conflict with those around you, okay? So number one is to press pause. And what I mean by that, especially if it's a conflict that's happening in real time, there's going to be some emotion around that. And pressing pause allows you to not react emotionally, but instead, as I shared before, to react truthfully and intentionally and thoughtfully. And a couple questions that I'd like you to ask when you're ready to just let someone have it is, number one, is this the right time? Very practically, Carrie and I have found that it is absolutely useless for us to get into big discussions around things after 10 o'clock. It just always ends up in us being argumentative because we're tired. Is it the right time? Number two, is it the right place? So someone in your family does something that offends you, and it's in the middle of the family Christmas party where the in-laws are all around. Not the right place. Press pause. Number two, identify the issue. What is it that we're in conflict about? Because maybe this has happened to you where you begin an argument or a conflict with someone, and then it ends up being about something way different than what you started with. And you're talking about how he broke grandma's vase back in our first year of marriage. And then remember that family reunion five years ago. And you're always that, you know, sometimes just, okay, what is it that we're arguing about? And sometimes you'll find out, you know, it was because he loaded the dishwasher wrong. Should we really be arguing about this? Identify the issue. Number three, discuss rather than attack. A lot of times it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Men, write this down. This is gold. <laughs> it's not just what you say, it, it's how we say it. If we can discuss rather than attack, it brings down the walls, it brings down the defenses a little bit. And then number four, agree on a possible solution. And I say possibly because sometimes you don't know what the right solution is, but you agree, you get buy-in to try whatever it is. So Jesus says, be willing to take the first step. And as you go, consider these things. With what goal? What's, what's the goal as you discuss, as you go, as you discuss this conflict? Well, I think sometimes, again, by default, if we don't think about it, our goal becomes to win the argument. And some of you are really good at that. You're quick on your toes. You're able to really show how you're right and the other person is wrong. Some of you even design PowerPoints in real time, and you've got closing arguments, and you know, you're just really good at an argument. And the per people around you know that. And so they're probably afraid to engage. Here's something I've needed to remember. If you win an argument in court, you win. 
if you win an argument at home and had the perfect statement and the right zingers and you win the argument at home, you still lose. If you leave the person that you love feeling as if they just lost an argument, you've won nothing. Because the goal is not to win. The other thing that can happen by default is the goal of getting something out of that person. Like, I'm going to work on, recon- I'm gonna work on this uh, conflict because I'm owed an apology, or I want to get an acknowledgement, or I want to get paid back. And that can become a default reason to work on things as well. But what did Jesus say? What did he say in his Sermon on the Mount? Here's what he said. He said, leave your offering at the altar, then go and be reconciled. This might seem like a minor point, but if you remember the goal of why you're working through conflict, it will change often how you act and what you say Because at the end of the day, the purpose is to restore the relationship. Number three, focus. Make it your goal to restore the relationship. Now, what does that mean, to restore the relationship? In an ideal world, it would mean that the relationship goes back to the healthy place it was before the conflict. That's the ideal. Now, not every situation is ideal. Let me acknowledge that. And sometimes, sometimes it's not even the healthiest for you in certain circumstances that the relationship is exactly the way that it was before. Sometimes we need to create healthy boundaries in certain relationships based on activities from the past. But at the very least, if it can't go back to exactly the way it was, we need to get to a place where internally we're not holding this thing against that person that we're able to be in the same room and be loving and cordial and like Christ, that we don't allow it to create a wedge between us and that person or us and that family. That's the goal, restore the relationship. Now, this isn't always easy. And some of you are thinking, That's nice, preacher, but if you only knew or if you only experienced what I went through or if you only met the person that I'm in conflict with, you might be speaking a little bit differently. Let's go back to Jesus' sermon. A little bit later, this is a pretty well-known section. Some of you definitely have heard this section before. Here's what Jesus says about our own hearts. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And again, some of us, maybe even me sometimes, as I think about certain relationships, my answer to that question of why do I look at the speck is because it's not a speck in their eye. It's a whole pile of sawdust. They're the ones that did the thing. They're the ones that did it again. They're the ones that started it. It's not a speck 
And by the way, I don't have a plank in my eye. And Jesus continues. He knew you'd think that. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Or maybe to say it this way. Why are you so focused on what they did and pay very little attention to what you did? See, here's the truth. We are masters at creating internal defenses for how we act or react or think. We are masters at making it sound good in our heads to justify the way that we've acted, and we very easily can see what other people do, very easily point out their faults. And even in a situation where, well, you had very little to do with the conflict, even then, let me ask you, could you have reacted differently? Could you have maybe held back from saying those words? Is there anything you could have done? Is there anything I could have done that maybe has become a plank in my eye that I need to remove so that I'm able to better understand and see the situation for what it is? Verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, Uh, that word comes from the idea of actor. You actor, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And maybe you didn't start it and maybe it wasn't mostly your fault, but what God through Christ is calling us to is to take a moment as we think about that conflict and and maybe it's just bringing it to him in repentance, bringing it to the Lord in repentance of, of what my part of this was. What he's wanting us to do in this plan for navigating conflict, it's important to own your part. This takes thought. It isn't easy. But I want you to know something I talked about at the beginning. Not only is your life better when you don't live in conflict with people, but even if that wasn't the case, this resolving conflict is something that's very important to God. Throughout the New Testament, as I referenced before, he talks about the importance of us living in harmony with each other. Um, In Ephesians 4, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why is God so passionate about resolving conflict? Here's why. Because at the very heart of the Bible, the very core of what the Bible is about, you know what it's about? It's about relationships being reconciled. The entire Bible is about relationships being restored. That's why God sent his son. Here's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said, 
to them and to us, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. This this story for the Colossians, this reality for them is true of you and me as well. That there was a time in our life, my story is such where because of my sin, because of my inability to forgive, because of my self-righteousness, because of my inability to be humbled enough to love others more than I love myself, that I was an enemy of God. And maybe it wasn't all my fault. The way people weren't kind to me or people let me down, but I have sin and I was separated from God. And he goes on to say, But now, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Why is God so passionate about relationships being reconciled? because that's exactly why his son, Jesus, suffered hell in our place. See, we live in a world where people can't handle conflict and they let it persist or they just cancel people and they move on. But when we come to this place, When we come to this place, we celebrate a God who didn't avoid our problems, but he sent his son to take care of them. And as our substitute restored a relationship with you and God that will last into eternity. And so I don't care what you do or what you have or what you get to experience in life, this is true for you. The best part of your life story is a restored relationship, is reconciliation. And so number five, God's amazing grace in your life is an invitation to share amazing grace. The world is so fractured and in conflict. Politically, racially, economically, there's so much going on. And we've been called to be dispensers of peace. First, to be able to share with people that when it comes to their relationship with God, that because of Christ, they can have one. And it is really good. And it lasts forever. And then at the very same time, we're empowered to reflect that grace. And I know it's not easy, but in working to resolve the conflict that we might have with others. You see, you already have been recipients of far more than you could ever give. Let's pray. Dear Lord, A message like this hits every single one of us a little bit differently and probably most of us 
have someone in our mind or in our heart that we either are in conflict with or have been, I just pray that you give each one of us courage and joy and humility and that you would direct us to open doors that we might resolve conflict, whether that be something little that happens today or tomorrow or something, something, Lord, that's been there for a really long time. We thank you that you have taken care of any conflict that there, may, that there was between us and you and pray that you help us to do the same with others. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.